Fran, Judy, it's good to see you. It really is. I look back in the folder that uh, we keep here in the office. One of them, anyway, with respect to our missions. I could not find the first year we supported you, but it's been a, a good number of years. And I especially am grateful for that. Uh, ministry is not a flash in the pan. It's not, uh, you know, go till you get a calling somewhere else or whatever. Ministry is, I think, what these folks have done. They have went through their missions agency, a uh, fine agency in Dallas. And, uh, in fact, uh, Fran, the, the man who was president for a long time was on ordination council. Uh, so they have gone to a place and stayed to serve the Lord. And they have built something in those years. And so I'm grateful to God to have missionaries like Fran and Judy. Y'all are sure welcome here. Our only problem with the Schmitz is we just don't see y'all enough. But we understand that. Uh, there is one other good thing I'll mention about them. I, I could go on and on, but I, I won't take his time. Uh, new grandparents, I understand, right? How old? About a month old. Okay. Well, there's nothing like it. Uh, the old trite saying is if you had known how good they were, you'd have had them first. Uh, that's old as the hills, but I still think there's a great deal of truth to it. Uh, so, Fran, Judy, we're delighted to have you. Thank you for taking time with Sunday School and uh, answering questions for us this morning. And, Fran, we look forward to having you in the pulpit. My brother, you are welcome here. To uh, get into the message this morning, what I'd like to do is tell you a little story about my family background and uh, to get uh, get into the family background I'm just going to mention I am the youngest of four boys in our family and when the, the gospel began to make an impact in our family back in the 1970s uh, my oldest brother John was the first one to come to the Lord I was the second and then uh, mom and dad my, my parents came to know Christ. And if you're doing the arithmetic, you see there was a couple brothers there that, that weren't real, you know, uh, were, were very reluctant, were, were not very open spiritually. One of them, my brother Fred, uh, was a very successful businessman. And it's possibly because of that success, he simply didn't feel a need for God in his life. And my dad, who was just passionate about trying to convince you know these other two brothers to receive Christ uh, you know would talk to him and he would say things like you know dad you you're retired you've lived your life uh, if you want to get into this religion thing that's fine but I've got all my life before me and I don't want religion telling me what to do or what not to do but then uh, one day in 1976 Fred came to talk to my dad and he he came uh, to talk to my dad about something that had to do with business. Apparently, Fred was trying to put together some sort of a business deal. And if it went well, then it was going to be very good for him financially. But if it didn't come together, then it was going to very negatively affect his bottom line. 
And so he made an appointment with my dad, and he came and he asked my dad a favor. And this, what he actually asked was something very surprising. He asked my dad to pray that this business deal would come together. Now, I hope you see the irony in this. I mean, here you got this guy that doesn't want anything to do with God. And yet, when he asks to meet with my dad, he doesn't ask for advice. He doesn't ask for a loan. I mean, what he asks is he asks him to pray that God would bless a business deal. Now, if you had been in my dad's shoes, you know, what would you have done? I mean, on one hand, you, you know, you got this guy. It just seems like he's a self-centered, you know, guy interested in earning money and wanting to use God, you know, so to speak. On the other hand, for the first time, this guy was actually recognizing in a backhanded way that God really exists and is powerful and answers the prayer of his children. A little later, I'll, I'll tell you how my dad handled that particular situation. But what about us? Is it okay for us to ask God to uh, bless us? Is it self-centered if we request that God prospers us? Um, are we treating him like Santa Claus if we request his blessing? I mean, let's say somebody starts a business. Is it, is it self-centered to ask God to bless the business? Or let's say a teenager has to take the SAT test uh, this year. And as you parents, and probably teens, but certainly you parents are well aware, you know, that can make a huge difference in a, in a young person's future. Depending, depending on your SAT scores, you know, you'll get into or not get into the college of your choice. And that's not even talking about the scholarships and how all that impacts the scholarships. Is it wrong to ask God to bless and, and help a young person do their very best, uh, better perhaps than their best on an SAT scores? In short, how can we approach God in our prayer life and avoid approaching him as if we considered him Aladdin's genie? You know, where we rub three times and out he comes to grant our every wish. So we're going to see the answer to that question this morning in one of the Psalms. Uh, in this Psalm, we are first going to see the message of the Psalm, and then we're going to see its application. So another way to put it, we're going to see what this psalm was saying in its original context. And then we're going to see what God would have us do with that principle and how some various ways that we can apply that today. So if you have your Bible, or if you have an electronic version of the Bible, uh, please turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67. In Psalm 67, this little... A short psalm of just uh, seven verses. We're going to see in Psalm 67, uh, we're going to see that there are basically two elements, that this, two things that this psalm talks about. In Psalm 67, we're going to see that there is a prayer request. And then we're going to see that there is a purpose or an expected result from this prayer request. So God's people are asking God to do something on one hand. And on the other, we're going to see that if God grants their prayer request, there's something that God's people expect to see happen. There's a purpose for them asking for this thing. There's a purpose behind their prayer request. And so the psalm is basically bound up 
in, in those two elements, a prayer request and a purpose, or expected result if God grants that prayer request. Now, we're also going to see that the psalm has a rather peculiar structure. The psalm is structured like a sandwich in the sense that uh, the prayer request more or less begins and ends the psalm. And then the expected result or the purpose of that prayer request constitutes the filling. So let's look first of all at the prayer request. And what we're going to see is that Psalm 67 begins and ends with a request on the part of God's people for blessing. They're asking God to bless. In fact, they're asking God for a bountiful harvest. God's people are requesting that God grants them a bumper crop, a barn-bursting, eye-popping, incredible crop yield. And in that culture, in an agrarian agrarian economy that existed in, in ancient Israel, what they were really asking for was financial prosperity. Look at verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. Let's skip down to verse 6. Uh, then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. And he repeats that first in the very first part of verse 7. God will bless us. So there's the prayer request. It's a prayer request for blessing. And when in verse 1 he repeats it three different things, it's not three different requests, it's all one request, just stated three different ways. Be gracious to us, and the, and the idea there is be gracious by granting our request. The request is, of course, bless us. And then he says, make his face shine upon us. And it's a, the figure there is of somebody making a request to a king. And as the king listens to the request, if the king listens and his forehead begins to sort of scrunch up like that, you know, when he frowns, it's not looking good for the king to grant the request. But now as the king listens, if his face lights up in a big smile, well, then he's going to grant the request. And so the, notice finally that the form, the specific manner in which they expect this request to be granted, the specific form of blessing in verse 6 is a bumper crop. There it is. The land will yield its harvest. And so the prayer request is for blessing. And uh, there's you know, notice the sandwich. Just like a sandwich has bread on the top and bread on the bottom, well, that's the, how the psalm is. The, the prayer request, mostly anyway, is in the very beginning and the very end. And now we're going to see the reason behind the request. We're going to see the purpose for it. And mostly in verses 2 through 5, we're going to see that they are asking God for His blessing so that the nations that do not know God come to know Him. They ask for financial blessing in order to be able to be a channel for spiritual blessing. Now we're going to see in this psalm that the psalm has a variety of ways of describing these people that didn't know the Lord. The, when it talks about the earth will hear, or the nations, the people, the ends of the earth, these were the pagan nations that lived around Israel back in those days. These were the pagan nations that did not know the Lord. And what the psalmist wants to see happen with these pagan nations is that they come to know God and His, His ways and His, His ability to save. To put it in another way, that they come to fear God. Look again at verse 1, and we're going to read it all the way to verse 2. 
May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among the nations. And let's pick it up again in verse 6 where we noticed the request for blessing before. Then the land will yield its harvest and God our God will bless us. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. And so... The bread is the request for blessing. The filling is a the purpose, which is that the nations would come to know God. And what we're going to see in this in this filling is that there are various aspects that the psalmist has in mind. One of them is that they come to know God and fear Him. We just saw that, and that's like uh, if you imagine our our structure, a sandwich structure. We have two pieces of bread. Well, we got a piece of Swiss cheese under one piece of bread and a piece of Swiss cheese now on the other. But there's more. Salma says that not only does he want to see the nations come to know God and fear Him, the psalmist also wants the nations to praise God, having come to know Him, that they would praise God. And we see this in verses 3 and 5. All right, are you with me with the sandwich structure? Are you seeing it beginning to take form? So we've got the bread, we've got two pieces of Swiss cheese, and we're going to have to add something because we've got verses 3 and 5. Uh, he puts in a, two pieces of lettuce. <laughs> so look at verse 3. May the peoples praise you, O God. There it is. Not only come to know Him, that they come to praise Him. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. And verse 5 is identical. May all the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. And finally, we get to the middle of the psalm, which is verse 4. Not only does he pray that they come to know God, not only does he pray they come to praise Him, but he finally prays that they come uh, to uh, rejoice because they experience firsthand God's loving and pastoral rule and guidance. Now, when you have a structure like this, Whatever comes at the middle tends to receive the most emphasis. And so this is kind of what the psalm is emphasizing. In fact, you'll notice it's, got, it's a little bit longer than the other verses. Let's read it. Verse 4, May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the people justly and guide the nations of the earth. Now where he says you rule the peoples justly, he uses a word for justly, which kind of implies that it's, uh, there's no favoritism. Like there's a level playing field. And the implication is, is just as God offers salvation to his people Israel, so God offers the same salvation to the Gentile nations. And where he says in verse 4, uh, may the, let's see, the, and you guide the nations of the earth, that word for guide uh, is, the word which, is a word which means to lead or even to pastor. And interestingly enough, this word is used in Psalm 23, the famous psalm of the good shepherd uh, where he says uh, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want then in verse verse 4 he says he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake it's that same word and so the the psalmist this to sum up the message of the psalm putting it all together Israel asks for God's blessing of a bountiful harvest so that the pagan nations would have the spiritual blessing of coming to know God in His saving ways 
of coming to praise Him, and finally of coming to experience firsthand His loving pastoral guidance in their lives. Wow! What a missionary psalm. What a missionary heart of God that we see in this psalm. Some people think that missions is something that has only some, uh, something that's taught in the New Testament, but the truth is, from Genesis 3.15 on, we see a missionary heart of God that wants to reach the lost and that once there were nations, wants to reach the nations. In fact, the same God who promised Abraham a series of blessings, not only said to Abraham, I will bless you, he also said, you will be a blessing, he said to Abraham, and in you all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. So he was going to bless Abraham so that Abraham could be a channel of blessing to the nations. God is a missionary God, and we see this. He has a missionary plan even in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, it wasn't so much that his plan was that he would send people as missionaries out to the nations. Rather, his plan was to attract non-believers to Israel. If Israel would only be faithful to God, God would richly bless them. And once the nations would see that blessing, they would be motivated to, uh, they would be attracted to Israel, and they would come to know the one true God. In fact, the Bible tells a story of something that illustrates how this was supposed to work in the Old Testament. Uh, I'll just sum up the story for you, but if you want to look at it later, it's in Second Chronicles chapter 9, and it's the story of the Queen of Sheba, which was Ethiopia. It's the modern, uh, ancient name for Ethiopia. And so from Africa, she heard stories about Sol King Solomon's rule. And the stories she heard of King Solomon's rule and God's blessing under that rule were so extravagant that she said to herself, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get all my, my nobles together and we're going to take a long trip and I want to actually visit Israel and I want to see with my own two eyes whether these t stories that I've heard are true or if they're just a bunch of tall tales. And so she made the trip and when she arrived she almost fainted with astonishment at the prosperity that she saw. She saw this spectacular royal palace. She saw this unbelievably beautiful temple completely covered inside with with polished gold and with images of pomegranates and palm trees she saw God she saw Solomon's many servants and how they were dressed she sat down with Solomon she interviewed him she put to him all sorts of difficult questions and complex philosophical problems and he answered with such a supernatural wisdom that she she didn't she was amazed and finally she said the following she said you know when I was back in my own country I heard all the re reports of God's blessing and she said I I I didn't even believe those reports but now that I've come and I've seen with my own eyes I realize that not only were the reports true but honestly the reports didn't even tell half the story and she said something very interesting she said, Praise be to the Lord your God who has delighted in you, King Solomon, made you king over his people. And so here we have this case of a queen who didn't know the one true God. She was attracted to Israel by reports of God's blessing. And when she arrived, she ended up praising God, just like Psalm 67 said. So according to Jewish tradition, she actually did convert to Jehovah God. And uh, I rather think there's something true to the Jewish tradition because I remember in my own lifetime, there was a time about three decades ago when there was a civil war in Ethiopia 
and the modern nation of Israel actually airlifted some Ethiopian Jews out of of Ethiopia. So there must must be something to this this tradition. So what we've seen so far is the message of this psalm that Israel asked God to bless them financially so that the unbelieving nations would come be converted to Jehovah God. Now what does this mean for us today? I mean, the church is not ancient Israel. Uh, we are Gentiles, at least most, most of us are. So in a certain sense, I mean, we have at least that in common with the, the nations around Israel that were living there at the time this psalm was first written. So what does Psalm 67 have to do with us today? What is, what is God saying to us through Psalm 67? I'm going to propose that God's message to us in this psalm is this. Ask for a blessing in order to be a blessing. We ask, when we ask God to bless us, let's do it uh, with the purpose and the intention of blessing others. When we ask God to prosper us, let's, let's do it with one eye on, on how that could be a channel of blessing to help other people come to know Christ. Ask a blessing in order to be a blessing. Now, I want you to know that if we do this, our prayers will not be so selfish for the simple reason that we will be sharing, lining up our hearts with God's missionary heart and His desire to reach the world. So we've seen the message of this psalm as it's translated to our modern context as New Testament believers. Ask for a blessing in order to be a blessing. And I want to consider three possible forms that this might take if we're going to apply this in our in our lives today. Three forms that in which we can apply the concept of asking a blessing in order to be a blessing. One of those forms, one form this could take, is to apply this more or less, um, follow the application, I suppose you could say, of the psalm in its original context. That we ask God to bless us in our jobs or in our careers. We ask God to bless us financially in some spectacular way, in such a spectacular way that non-believers notice and and are convinced of the existence of God. And so let's let's go back to the illustration I, I mentioned a while ago about teenagers taking the SAT test. Let's say that a Christian teenager is going to take the SAT and uh, perhaps his grades aren't up to where they need to be to get the desired scholarships or entrance to university. And so he's, he's asking God to help him just hit a home run on the SAT. And he prays about it and he prays about it. And when he takes the test and the weeks pass and finally the, the results come, God blessed him with his SAT results. And let's say that as he prays about it, he prays along this line, Lord, help me do really well, not so I have a better chance of getting into the college I want to, but so that my friends at school that don't know you would be convinced of your existence. So he goes to school that day, having prayed that way, taken the test, gotten the results, and uh, he tells his friends what his SAT scores are. And one of his friends, friends says, Dude, how'd you get such good scores? I mean, is this the same kid that got C's and sat next to me and got C's in algebra and English? How'd you do it, dude? Did you cheat? 
And he says, well, no, no, I didn't cheat. Just listen. He says, I, I just want you to know. I prayed and I asked God to help me get really good scores. And what you see is God's answer. And the kid says, well, I didn't do so good. I got to take it again in the fall. Hey, would you pray for me? This is kind of the idea of one way we could apply this. Or maybe somebody in his job begins to pray about every decision and every aspect of his work. And so at some point when God blesses either with a prosperous business or with a raise or a promotion and he talks with non-believers about it, he could say something, honestly say something along this line. What you see is God's blessing to this unworthy son of his because I pray about every aspect and I ask God to help manifest himself in my career so that other people would come to know him. So if something good happens on my job, it's because of God. Now, one mention I, I have to make of this is that when we talk about God's blessing in the context in which the psalm was written, the psalm was written when God's people were living under the Mosaic Covenant. And so a lot of the blessings tended to be really specific, concrete, visible things, like financial prosperity. Now, we're not living under the Mosaic Covenant. We're New Testament believers. We live under the New Covenant. So what the, some of the implications of that are simply this, that God still blesses. Often he blesses in concrete ways. But sometimes he blesses in other ways as well. So there's not a one-to-one, -one, uh, not a direct application that we can always 100% make of that uh, psalm in that sense. God's blessing can take other forms. Ask a blessing in order to be a blessing. There's a second form that this can take. And the second form that this can take is when we ask God to bless us financially so that we can financially bless somebody who takes the gospel to those who don't know Christ. And so God blesses us financially so that we can financially bless workers. And the result is that non-believers, people who don't know the Lord, come to know the Lord. Now, when an individual or a family or a church uh, supports church planters and missionaries, that's basically what we're looking at. We're looking at this, this form of applying the psalm. I'm going to share just a couple examples of people who are either very creative or very radical in applying the message in this, in this particular way. Here's somebody who did something very creative. When we lived in El Salvador about 10, a little over 10 years ago, there was a Christian businessman there who has, was very passionate about missions. And one of the exciting things going on in, in Central America is they're beginning to send out missionaries. And so there was somebody who was going out of a church, uh, this particular businessman's church, and he was going to go to a Muslim country and evangelize Muslims there. And here's what the businessman did. He started a small business for the specific purpose of supporting this missionary. And what he did is he went to the international airport there in, in El Salvador, and he put in a machine that wraps uh, suitcases and basically what it does is it wraps luggage in a sort of a thin plastic. And, of course, he had to pay. He had overhead. He had to pay for the privilege of putting the machine there and he had to pay somebody to man the machine but whatever he he received his net income over the overhead that's what went to support the missionary and so I don't have any doubt that when he prayed for his small business 
He asked God to bless his business so that that financial blessing could support this missionary to be a spiritual blessing in North Africa where the missionary ended up going. There's another illustration, but this illustration is of somebody who was just downright radical in the way that he, he applied this message. Ask a blessing to be a blessing. Wow. This person's name was R.G. Letourneau. You guys, have, I can see from your reaction, you've heard of him. He was a genius. He had an intuitive grasp of mechanical engineering. Uh, and in spite of coming from a fairly poor background and not receiving a lot of formal education, this guy was just unbelievable. He invented most of the designs for a lot of the heavy uh, machinery that, that we still use today. And uh, the fact that he invented these designs and, and uh, you know, and uh, owned something so valuable meant that this guy became fabulously, fabulously wealthy. Now, I've read his biography, and I actually cannot remember any place in the biography where he actually asked God to prosper him financially. His interest was more as he just, he just wanted to find a way of designing things, you know, to all these labor-intensive jobs would be done by machine. But sort of as a secondary, sort of an after-effect of doing what he wanted to do, he became unbelievably wealthy. And what he did with his wealth makes me think that when he saw the scriptural teaching of ask a blessing in order to be a blessing, he had a, he had a handle on that. You see, when Laterno became a millionaire, he made a decision to live on 10% of his income and give away 90% to the Lord's work. Now, I, I suspect you're thinking something along the line of, oh, 90%. Man, I thought I was doing good to give about 10%. And the honest truth is, for most Christians in most contexts, it's a very good thing to give away 10% of our income to the Lord's work. I mean, that's enough to where you actually feel it in your lifestyle. And that's a very healthy thing. And I'm not saying that what Letourneau did is something that everybody has to do. But here's something that, at least to me, I find very healthy and challenging in Letourneau's rather radical decision. And that is that uh, as income rises... You know, it's not a law that our standard of living has to rise to eat up the extra income. I mean, if God blesses us financially, what I get from Letourneau's example is this. We ought to at least ask the Lord and say, you know, you've blessed me. Now, Lord, do you want me to continue to live on this standard of living and give the extra to your work? Or do you want me to go ahead and, and let my standard of living uh, rise as well? And now let me just tell you what Letourneau did with that 90%, at least a few of the things that he did. One of the things he did was he started a foundation whose purpose was to assist at least one church plant in every major third world city. And the idea he had was to particularly help them build a, uh, an auditorium that would give the gospel a very positive and very visible presence in that third world city. And so when we were in El Salvador, uh, we saw firsthand the uh, Miramonte Baptist Church that benefited from that foundation. And this was a very key church that has had a very good ministry. And they had a beautiful auditorium there on a main thoroughfare in downtown San Salvador. Another thing he did with his money is he founded a Christian college for the training of engineers. It's Laterno College in, in East Texas. And uh, 
We know one of the leaders in our local church there in Guatemala actually went to that college. He went to just get a nine-year, a nine-month course in auto mechanics, and he ended up getting a four-year degree in engineering. Something else that Letourneau did with that 90% is he founded a Christian conference center for the preaching of the gospel. And that was in northern Georgia, in the town of Tacoa. And as it, as it happened, uh, he hired as his first administrator of that Christian camp, Albert Philippi, who was Judy's grandfather on her father's side. And so uh, the way that played out in Judy's life was this, that her father and her uncle grew up under the preaching of the gospel. I mean, there was all sorts of Bible conferences and missionary conferences. And one day, there was a particular missionary who preached on, on why young people should consider missions. And God used that to touch her father. And so her father, back in the 50s, went to Guatemala as a missionary. He lives there, to the, the, her parents live there to this day, and now as retired missionaries. And what am I saying? I'm saying that the decision that R.G. Letourneau made to ask God to guide him on, on what his standard of living should be and, and what to do with the rest of the money made a huge impact for the Lord that's resulted in many, many people coming to know the Lord. It's like when, you're, when you take a rock and you throw it into the middle of a lake whose waters are quiet and still and it splashes and the, the ripples go out in ever-expanding concentric rings. Well, here we are 70, 80 years later, and as a couple, we are still, our lives are still intersecting with the ripples from that decision Laternal made. So, ask a blessing in order to be a blessing. There's a third and final form in which this can take, and that is that we ask God to make us more like Christ, especially in difficult circumstances, in order to attract others to Christ. In other words, we ask God to help us be Christ-like when times are tough so that others see Christ in us and are attracted to Him. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago that as New Testament believers, the forms that blessing can take sometimes are a little different. Sometimes they're the same as they were for Old Testament believers. Sometimes they're a little different. The theology of blessing in the New Testament often emphasizes or often has to do with having the character of Christ in difficult circumstances. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and all circumstances. And he adds, and I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That is Christ. That's why Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, he says, blessed. Notice he's saying, he's talking about blessing. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For so, in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's say that there was a Christian who worked in middle management and his supervisor for a period of about 10 years unjustly blocked his promotion. There were people who were less productive and who had less time with the company who were promoted and he was not promoted. And the reason why he was not promoted was because he was a Christian and that supervisor just had a f something against Christians. 
Now, when something like that happens, you know, when we're in circumstances like that, we have to make a decision. We can react like people normally react, and the normal reaction to that would be to become bitter, to talk bad about the supervisor to your coworkers, to look for ways maybe of, you know, damaging the company. Or, or we can ask God to help us react in a Christ-like way. Now, what does that look like? That means that if we were in that person's, that middle manager's shoes, we would ask God's help to be able to love that supervisor. We would pray for that supervisor. We would look for opportunities to do good to that supervisor. Now, First Peter says that if we suffer for doing well, we are blessed. There's that word again. Because Christ also suffered for doing the right thing. And when Christ suffered for doing the right thing, First Peter 3 adds, uh, he ended up bringing many people to salvation. In the example that I gave, you might scratch your head and say, well, how in the world could, you know, putting up, you know, okay, you guys got a good attitude with that terrible manager, supervisor and everything, but I mean, how could that result in people coming to know Christ? Well, there's lots of ways. I'll just mention one. Let's say that that supervisor is diagnosed with terminal inoperable cancer. A possible scenario would be that he feels very horrible about all the ill that he had done that Christian worker, Christian uh, middle manager all those years and the good that the person had, with which the, the person had responded. So he asked to talk to him. And when he comes and sits down in the supervisor's office, the supervisor says, he says, I'm going to die and I'm not ready. I want you to tell me, to please, please tell me what it is that you have that makes you like you are. Because I want to be prepared to meet God. I ask a blessing in order to be a blessing. We started with a question. Is it selfish to ask God to bless us? Is it bad to ask God for success or financial prosperity? What we've seen in Psalm 67 is that one way to not fall into selfish, self-centered prayers is to ask for a blessing in order to be a blessing. If we ask God to bless us, we do so in order to see people through that blessing come to know Christ. I promise to tell you how my dad ended up handling that situation with my, uh, my brother Fred. My brother Fred asked him to pray for this business deal, that God would bring it together. And so my dad said, all right, I'll pray for that, but here's, here's a condition. He said, if God answers my prayer and blesses this business deal, I want you to come to church with me one Sunday. And so, as you can see, my dad handled this situation more or less according to the spirit of Psalm 67. He was asking for a blessing, in this case, not for himself, but for someone else. But he was asking for a blessing in order for that person to receive a spiritual blessing. Now, my brother, well, first of all, my dad prayed, God answered, that business deal came together, and true to his word, my brother did come to church that Sunday. Now, he didn't receive Christ that Sunday, nor did he receive Christ shortly thereafter, but he did eventually receive Christ as a Savior. 
Now, our, our dad passed away, uh, and he received Christ before our dad passed away in 1997. And in 2011, when my mom passed away, we were reminiscing. And I, I asked him about that incident with, you know, the, the business deal and everything and him coming to ask. And I said, is that what really, you know, did, did God use that to bring you to Christ? And he said, well, he said, yeah, you know, that helped. But he said, I'll tell you what, for years and years, he said, I, I resisted it. But I'll tell you what had more influence in me coming to know Christ the Savior. He said, it was the fact that it was, it was in short, it was he saw Christ in my dad's life after my dad's conversion. And he went on to explain it this way. He said, you know, our dad, he said to me, even before he came to know the Lord, he said he was, he was a pretty good man, but he was a very hard man. And he shared a story. I'd never heard this before. He said when he was seven years old, he was walking in downtown Fort Lauderdale with dad, and they got to a, a street corner and were waiting for the light to change. And somebody else came along, and this other, this third person was smoking a cigarette. Now, my dad could be very intolerant at those times in his life when he wasn't smoking. He was quite intolerant of people that were around him smoking. So this guy walks up, and he takes a big drag on the cigarette, you know, and he blows this big cloud of smoke. My dad says to him, buddy, if you blow smoke into my face again, I'm going to make you eat that cigarette. <laughs> so, yeah, my dad was a hard man. He really was. And so during his life... He had offended some people. Now, here's where it gets kind of interesting, and I remembered this. After his conversion to Christ, Dad sat down and cognizant of the fact that he had offended people just by how hard he could be at times, he made a list of all the people he could think of that he had offended over the years. And then one by one, he either visited or where that was not possible, he contacted by phone every one of those people and apologized and asked for their forgiveness. And so seeing God's power and answered prayer helped Fred believe, but seeing the reality of Jesus Christ in our Father's life was what I think was more powerful in attracting him to Christ. So when you pray and you have a need or a desire, go ahead and... And, and put it before the Lord. Ask a blessing. Ask God to bless you. But think about how that answer to prayer, that blessing, might bless others. This prayer request, this thing that you're asking for, this blessing, will it advance the work of the Lord? Will it bring others to Christ? Ask a blessing in order to be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that you're a God, a good God, who loves to give good gifts to his children. Lord, in order to wean our hearts away from idols, we want to be your channels of blessing to others. We want you to bless us, Lord. We want to see you use that blessing to be a blessing to others and to help others come to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask a blessing to be a blessing. Why don't we take that home, all of us, take that home this week and practice that. Ask a blessing to be a blessing.
Dear ones, this is Missions Month. As you have heard me say, in our church's spiritual journey, we have not gotten to a place where we can have a week, a full week, or even a weekend of Missions Conference. I still long for that. We were challenged last Wednesday evening by one of our own, Jennifer Wilkins. Her recent trip to Jamaica with Teams for Medical Missions. We have other missionaries coming the next three Sundays of this month. Dear people, may I just say, I want to say it kindly, but it's rather direct. If we sit here and listen to messages that encourage us, that strengthen our faith, that challenge us, and we go out here and do nothing, we have failed. We failed. Gospel message is preached. We ask the question, what will you do with Jesus? Missions messages delivered to Christian people, question needs to be asked, what are we going to do now? You know somebody that doesn't know Jesus. And that's evidenced in our community because of our kids' programs. Uh, you talk with our Awana workers, you talk with our Upward workers. Saturday morning upwards, Sunday night Awana. They have kids come that have not heard of Jesus. And I first thought, that can't be. But it is. Our teachers tell us that. Our teachers tell us Sunday night from Awana. I've got children in my small group who don't have a Bible at home even. Folks, there is a great need. Uh, Jesus didn't give the Great Commission, Matthew 28, uh, just to be observed when it's convenient. What are we going to do? This is a time of missions emphasis. Let's be about our Father's business. John 20, I, so I send you. Will you go and take the message? <laughs> Alan Cotton is our deacon today. Alan comes to pray for us. Thank God for the Smiths. Uh, we have others listed in the bulletin, Alan. Uh, pray for our missionaries. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fran, Judy, would you join me, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, King of glory, we're just so glad to be a part of the family of God, to gather today, Lord, to praise your holy name. And it's encouraging, us to, uh, it's encouraging to us to know that we're part, just a part of uh, tens of millions of gathered across the land today that are praising your holy name as we speak. Uh, gather us together as one to proclaim uh, our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, as King of, King of all and Lord of our lives. Lord, we pray for the, all the missionaries Lord, that this church represents. Uh, thank you for Fran and Judy Schmidt, Lord, for coming today. Encourage them, bless them, guide them, direct them. And uh, help us, Lord, to worship you and obey you, giving you all the glory. And 
Thank you, Father, for everything you do in our lives. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.